0: sebastian and uh happy happy new year sebastian
1: hello happy new year to you sir how do you do excellent i'm doing
0: very well um i caused a bit of concern to uh jake my fiance my my Mm -hmm. lovely partner jake
1: um this how many how many holes were you bleeding out of
0: uh, on this occasion, uh, zero holes,
1: zero okay. holes. I was I was. It, it maybe wasn't, I've just uh, been rewatching too many episodes of House MD. But when somebody says something concerning, I'm just like, oh, yep, they're bleeding. They're bleeding. Yep, they're yep, sweating it. blood it's... that that was in one episode. So, yeah, that was a thing. Yep. The reason no
0: why I think I was causing some level of concern is because I was Googling
1: uh-huh.
0: RCMP contact details. On police <laughs> contact details, uh-huh. um, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police contact details. Yes, okay. And uh, there were these furtive glances being like, is is everything okay? Like, uh-huh. is, is uh-huh. everything okay? Um, the reason why okay. I have been ringing around to various police departments yes. is because I had a great discussion with Jordan Sullivan. He is a survivor and the main voice of the website... Uh, around um uh, the topic of a conversation a little bit later today uh, okay. around stopping conversion therapy practices uh mm-hmm. stopconversionpractices.ca uh, in particular so the community based research center which is based out of vancouver Uh, Mm -hmm. They teamed up with No More Conversion, and uh, they created the stopconversionpractices.ca website. Mm -hmm. But Jordan, who I was speaking to, he mentioned something that jumped out at me, that in two years since the legislation was introduced, there has been zero charges under the new law. Oh, okay. And sort of mused that maybe it was people aren't aware of the law, police aren't aware of the law. Mm-hmm. You know, if nobody knows that it's against the law to do these kinds of things, when someone mm-hmm. says this thing happened to me, how are you supposed to know that the crime has been committed? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, it's it's important. So that was essentially why I was emailing the RCMP, the Auto yep. Police yep. Service, the Association of Chiefs of Police, yep. uh, asking all of them. What training, what information have you conveyed to officers, both current and incoming, Mm -hmm. um, about this change in the law? Now, in all fairness to these police departments, uh, these frantic emails went out quite late last week. So we haven't. Mm -hmm. They've all gone to their respective departments. Um, You know, it is important. It it is, you know, something we want to know. But uh, there's understandably a small wait. I suspect Mm -hmm. I will have an update for our listeners next week once they've had a chance to respond to our our inquests. Uh, Well, I do Yeah, uh,
1: about a year ago uh, there were, I I don't want to say reports because it sounds a lot more concrete than this, and and rumors is too weak. Sort of like uh, uh, unsubstantiated reports, I guess you could say. That a lot of the conversion therapy in Canada was moved beyond the borders, that other countries are now doing it for us. And a lot of what would have been a conversion therapy um, arrest was instead uh, somebody was taken to another country. So now you're looking at like kidnapping and or human trafficking. And the conversion therapy portion of the situation was sort of swept not under the rug, but just sort of like when you have kidnapping and and human trafficking looming over you the fact that you're doing it for the purposes of conversion therapy is sort of a i don't want to say a footnote but it it it's in it's in 14 point font whereas kidnapping and human trafficking is in like 36 point font like it's 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 not as a big a portion of the story so i i think it's possible That it is happening, but arrests aren't being made because there's other bigger arrests that are are occurring. And there have been stories of people being taken out of country against their will. So that is... I'm not sold because taking
0: Mm -hmm. them out of the country for the purpose of conversion practices Mm -hmm. is also against this law. You know what I mean? Anyway, we dive into all of those details a little later. So I have been reading all about dryden ontario good old dryden good old dryden now i'm not gonna uh-huh. lie i did have to google dryden to find uh-huh. out where it was on a map
1: uh-huh.
0: um and uh i had to zoom quite far out oh, before yes. it got anywhere near it. it's it's much closer to like winnipeg than anywhere in ontario yes. despite being in ontario like it's It's sort of the place that you would catch if you were on
1: your way to Manitoba. Kenora would be the closest city that people might recognize. I know the name Dryden. What? I think I've got family in Dryden. Possibly.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's not that far. If folks have gone to Thunder Bay, then, you know, it's, and then onwards onto Winnipeg, you may have come across it. Mm -hmm. So let's go back all the way to September of 2022. There was a CBC News article about how police responded to a prank phone call uh, about various pride events that were happening. Mm -hmm. Somebody called in and said uh, a drag performer with a salacious name as potentially, you know, there's children involved. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. Uh, The police came up. Everyone's like, you know, gay people and police, not the best relationship. Perhaps we should have a bit more sensitive to this there was really an article about this small thing that happened small community of dryden pride is an emerging thing yeah yeah, the end of the world what happens next is a mr webster uh let me see if i can find his uh name here but no i mean i can't find his name easily off the top of my head uh mr webster then makes a facebook post about this news article. Mm -hmm. And in this news article, he posts to a Facebook group. Um, That Facebook group purports to be a media news company. It's a Facebook group that he runs. Um, It has a lot of followers in that area of, of Ontario, sort of Thunder Bay, rural sort of northeast, no, north west uh ontario Uh i had to get my east and west figured out then for a second Uh um and in it he posts about this news article and he says all caps ask yourself why these people need to perform for children Uh question mark all caps groomers okay then he then he finds where the caps button is uh, that's the agenda. Just look at the face of the one child in the photo. It tells you all you need to know. <clears throat> so he essentially called this small organization, Rainbow Alliance Dryden, and uh, this one drag performer, Mr. Off, Mr. Doff, sorry, mm-hmm. um, uh, called them groomers. Okay. Now, Rainbow Alliance Dryden And Mr. Doff, it's the performance name, didn't take too well to the insinuation that they are pedophiles and sued Mr. Webster for defamation. Okay. So that's where we're at. Innocuous news story on the CBC. Mr. Webster, who has a bit of a following, announces these are groomers. That's why they need to perform in front of children. Heaven to Betsy. Mm -hmm. Um, And these performers then sue them. Now, it's worth the context here that uh, these organizers have been um, facing a lot of backlash to Mm -hmm. uh, pride organizing in the small town of Dryden. And -hmm. this may well have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. Anyway, we've been looking into the legal decision from the Superior Court of Ontario because... Not really wanting to be sued, Mr. Webster then tries to defend himself, uh, Mr. Brian Webster, um, with anti slap legislation. So, just for our listeners who may not be uh, familiar with what anti slap legislation is, um, let me find what the acronym stands for.
1: Lawsuits Um, against public participation.
0: Exactly. It's uh, nuisance lawsuits. So, essentially, there are Using um, the law
1: to silence people. Yeah. Which is a, a so big the, deal. In some countries, that's a very big deal. And the fact that we have anti-slap, that that you can basically say you can't sue me because you're just silencing me. I'm actually all for that. But I think uh, the anti-slap can be abused just as much as the legal system itself can. So it's so a mixed the, bag.
0: The judge yeah. was looking at two things. One, is there grounds to believe that the legal proceeding has substantial merit and the moving party has no valid defense. Like, is Mm -hmm. it an actual case? Do they not really have a defense for that comment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, has the harm suffered by the plaintiff as a result of the expression sufficiently serious enough that the public interest is permitting the procedure to continue? Like, is the public interest in allowing this to go to court, go to trial, Mm -hmm. versus not? So the judge looked into pretty much a lot of it and i've got a couple of comments here i'm actually pulling it from one of the judges in terms of the i think it's a case summary by one of the plaintiffs mm-hmm. uh, from judson howe llp um so we're just looking at some of the notes and some of the the decision here so the d- judge stated that the defendant mr webster's comments went right well beyond expression it yes. was perpetuating hurtful myths and stereotypes about vulnerable members of the community. And his argument that he was accusing the CBC of grooming has no merit. Essentially, he tries to pivot and say, look, I was commenting on public interest. I was mm-hmm. commenting on the CBC's reporting. And the judge said, no, that's clearly not what's you know implied by your own text. Goes mm-hmm. on to say... It is reasonable to conclude that the suggestion that the drag performers are groomers merely because of their sexual or performance identity is defamatory. Mm -hmm. The implication is that drag performers are manipulating children for paedophilic and abusive purposes. The hateful Mm -hmm. comments accompanying the post demonstrates this is how readers interpreted the expression. Because not only did Webster comment this, but there was a whole bunch of comments under it, uh, which were even more vile. Mm-hmm. So she goes on to say that there was no factual basis for the allegation that the drag performers were groomers, yep. that the Mr. Webster's statements were not recognizable as opinion, but mm-hmm. rather statements of fact with things like this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Webster could not satisfy the requirement for fair comment by holding an honest, objective belief, mm-hmm. and that there was grinds to find that the expression was made out of malice. Mm-hmm. So... Is calling somebody a groomer defamation of character? Well, she relied on a whole bunch of Supreme Court of Canada decisions Mm
1: -hmm.
0: where there has been consistently court cases where you accuse somebody without any evidence whatsoever of being a paedophile, and that's pretty much what this accusation is, um, is defamatory. Yes. So, Um, yeah, I I, I wanted to dive in on the language here because... In the U.S. in particular, and we're starting to see it gravitate here into, into Canada, mm-hmm. whenever people are doing drag shows that are age-appropriated, where the audience is uh, aimed at youth and 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 teens and, and even drag story times used at ch- aimed at children, the purpose of those is cultural expression and entertainment. Mm-hmm. If and me and you are 100% on the same page here, okay. if there is any evidence of misconduct mm-hmm. or or bad behavior in any way absolutely yeah hold them accountable 100 the percent
1: the idea of of calling somebody a groomer just being banned out right because that is hate speech i'm against that because some people are and if they are you should ha- be able to call them out but if you're going to call them out you need to have a reason why not just because Not just because you feel like it, you know, because there are drag shows that you and I have seen that I don't even think is appropriate for adults, let alone teens or children. And I mean, that's part of the joy of them. But if it is a performance that's inappropriate for adults and it was being shown to children, I would report them because that's not appropriate. There are so many ways of doing drag. Like if your drag name is like head of lettuce and you do a clown act for children, that's fine. If your drag name is, I don't know, something involving vulvas. And the whole act is just absolutely raunchy humor. Then that should be in a bar, you know, 19 plus only like it, there, there's ways of doing it. And that's fine. But like it's if you're performing for children, you have to adjust. And if you're not adjusting, then, yeah, I'm sorry, that's not appropriate. Um, but if it's you are. Yeah. And, and that accusation shouldn't go away. But the thing is, there's a difference between uh, an accusation of actual misconduct and just plain old libel. And if if you are besmirching someone's name just because you don't like them, then, yeah, absolutely, you can take them to court. I got no problem with that. But on the other hand, I also don't think we should, you know, uh, litigate out of existence the uh, the ability to accuse somebody of actually doing harm. So there's got to be a balance point. And I think they're really trying very hard here to strike that balance of not silencing people's right to come forward with actual accusations, but also to tell people you can't just say stuff like this and get away with it if there's nothing going on. You, you got to find that balance point. And the the fact that they're being very forthright about this in this case of like, we do not want to overstep anything, but we don't want to let other people out, overstep anything either. Like that's that's such an important point. So I suppose the the key takeaway from this
0: is we know... That there are listeners out there who are maybe not big fans of drag shows, maybe not big mm-hmm. fans of drag performances like drag storytime,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: calling the organizers, the the performers, pedophiles mm-hmm. without any any evidence mm-hmm. is defamation of character, and is as per this court case, mm-hmm. um, not something that you should really get tangled up in. Like, you know, it goes back to that old adage. If you can't say something nice, you know,
1: don't say anything at all. Just just be sure you know what you're talking about. That's really what it comes down to. You know, if there's smoke, you know, if there's smoke, there's probably fire. But double check, there's definitely smoke first. (laughs) All right. Let's
0: jump to She by Magenta. Uh, This is a... Pop uh artist out of uh, sing a song based out of Toronto. Um, and we will be back just after this. Um actually we're jumping into our interview. Kind
3: words, deep thoughts, she's everything.
0: Welcome to Cancrea home of Canada's queer media. My name uh, is Luke Smith. Sebastian is not joining us for this uh, particular conversation because I forgot to invite him. So he will be scowling at me across the room uh, as we dive into this conversation. But... I am not talking to myself. Instead, I am talking to Jordan Sullivan, who is the Conversion Practices, and we'll define that in just a moment, Prevention and Survivor Support Coordinator at the CBRC. Uh, we've had the CBRC on multiple times on everything ranging from poppers to um, health surveys. We are big fans of the work over at CBRC. And Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here
0: we have talked a lot about conversion therapy and uh this is now we are uh we are recording a couple of days before but you're probably hearing this shortly after the two year anniversary of the law uh, that uh, purportedly banned conversion therapy uh, in canada uh, so as part of that commemoration Uh, cbrc and uh, a second group whose name is escaping me no conversion canada no conversion canada there we Um, have teamed up to create this website but before we dive into that let's just make sure we are speaking the same language here for our listeners i actually really like the fact that this website and these tools have moved away from referring to it as conversion therapy and towards conversion practices, because, frankly, I don't know anyone, any medical association, any trained medical group anywhere in the Western world that considers it an actual therapy. We often talk about how various medical associations have spoken out against it, but in your own words, why was the decision made to move from conversion therapy to conversion practices? And then we'll dive into the law just after that.
2: Conversion therapy, we know it's not a reputable therapy. Um, I have a list currently of about 122 uh, Canadian, American and international uh, professional organizations like the Canadian Psychiatric Association, um, Social Workers College of Social Workers, there's just, just so many that have spoken out publicly in opposition to conversion therapy. And so we have removed that word therapy unless we're talking specifically about the federal law, because the federal law uses the language Therapy. I should also add that this is something I've learned just recently from the Department of Justice, that this is a law, not a ban, and that a ban is different, whether it's municipal or provincial. The law, because it's a criminal law, means that there's an offense that can be punishable.
0: So just for those who uh, maybe not uh, familiar with the law i think i do have it handy here but you know we will we'll cover the the high level of it so that our listeners you know i like everyone to be on the same page so it's on section 320 101 uh, for those who want to google it and look it up and it refers to conversion therapy means a practice treatment or service designed for the following reasons one or a changing a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual or changing a person's gender identity to cisgender, or changing a person's gender expression to conform with their sex assignment at birth, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. but simply... What I like about how the law has been phrased is that it is an offense for practices where the conclusion, the intent, the purpose is to change someone's sexual orientation or someone's gender identity. Can you expand a little bit on why that's important?
2: It's important in part because these practices are based on an assumption, and that assumption is that being heterosexual is the only normal way to express uh, sexuality, and that a person's gender identity must match their assigned sex at birth. So that's a problem right there, and that's where that's the basic thing you can use to identify these practices. What is their goal, and what is their basic assumption? Where where are they going? What's their goal?
0: And, And honestly, when I was looking over the website, it is vague. And I think that that's a product of just the range and the scope of what's happening out there. And that's sort of where I'm going a little bit here in terms of the purpose. It's how easy is it to see and spot conversion therapy or conversion practices? I suspect that your, your local conversion therapy camp uh, doesn't have local conversion therapy camp in a banner uh, over the door. It's certainly a little bit more uh, surreptitious than that, given the law in place. Really, the question is, you know, what is a conversion practice and what isn't? And how can folks listening to this be able to put their finger on it and say, wow, that was a conversion practice. You know, that should have been illegal versus "Mm, this just seems like a chat with my uh, high school counselor, or this was just a series of uh, retreats I went with, with my church. How do you differentiate between one and the other?
2: So there are basically two different types of pressures that LGBTQ two-spirit people experience. They can experience what is called sojis or sexual orientation, gender identity expression, change efforts. So change efforts defined very broadly they can happen in a conversation with somebody. They can happen in a store where you get treated with with you know contempt, you refuse service. They can happen when a parent encourages a teenager, why don't you try dating a girl, if it's a gay man or if it's a lesbian, why don't you try dating a, a man? So there's these little subtle and blatant messages and pressures that LGBTQ people experience Throughout their whole life, often. Then there are the really structured, formal practices, treatments, and services. They are not so easy to find and identify. When I was going through it myself, they clearly were all about. I mean, we're gonna. It's the ex-gay. We can change your sexual orientation completely. But what what has happened is that as the opposition to conversion therapy or conversion practices. Uh, has grown over the last you know, 10, 15 years, faith-based and healthcare-based practitioners have rebranded themselves. They, they're trying to avoid detection. Uh, they may continue to find new ways of covertly describing what they do. They don't call it conversion therapy, like you said, or conversion practices. And they may not even think of it. As conversion practices, they might use language such as God's divine design for human beings, uh, sexual healing, um, sexual purity, overcoming sexual addictions. There's just so much language. So what you have to look in, like I said earlier, is look at what the goal is, look at what they're, and that's not so easy to determine. And that might take some conversation with people to ask what their goal is. So there are specific hallmarks that you can look for. Looking for something that says they promote being straight or acting like your birth sex as the preferred way to exist. They may be based largely on testimonies of supposedly changed individuals. Um, They might teach that being queer, trans, or two-spirit is irreconcilable with your faith or your religious beliefs are based on the assumption, like I said earlier, that being queer trans or two-spirit is caused by spiritual problems like sin, temptation, demons, and or are due to trauma or abuse, for example, gender exploratory therapy, which has the goal of fixing whatever caused the problem, or Freudian psychoanalysis of parental relationships, which is a pretty common one. For There are more, but the site goes into some of those in a bit more in depth. So,
0: so we, we've got a bit of an understanding now of you know the, the the what it is. It is an an effort, often uh, hidden in in shadow and mirage and optical illusion, to to hide the 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 goal here, which is changing from gay to straight or from trans to cisgendered. I suppose that the question that comes to my mind, and and I am certain that you know the Psychiatrists Association of Canada were were convinced, and the Social Workers School was convinced and canadian legislators were convinced but what is the harms of this conversion practices like why why is it something that we should be wary of and something that ought that is now illegal
2: conversion practices and this is something that the, the government federal government talked about a lot, and I think was a real, probably the main reasons, because survivors told their stories of the impact that these practices had. They affect people's sense of self at their very core. So it's not a behavior, it's your core identity. And conversion practices promote a harmful or traumatic self-image. So you're constantly judging yourself, second-guessing yourself, policing yourself in many ways. So survivors experience harm stemming from the notion of compulsory heterosexuality and cisgender identification. And the resulting harm includes widespread systemic inequities such as limited employment opportunities, poverty, social and religious exclusion, physical violence or the fear of violence. But the long-term health impacts, and this is long-term, they might include minority stress or multiple minority stress for those who experience multiple uh, oppressions. They definitely include shame. Shame is the number one impact of conversion therapy and conversion practices. See, I'm still getting used to that term. Shame is also the number one barrier to healing. Impacts also include depression, anxiety, social phobias, substance use change uh, challenges, homelessness, suicidality, complex trauma or PTSD, religious trauma, sexual and relationship problems, low self-worth, and on and on. There's, there's a lot of research that's been done to back that up, and that's one of the things on the new site uh, uh, linked to all sorts of different research.
0: I was really impressed by the roster of research that has been done on this. Uh, You know, the CBRC has done multiple studies of Canadians uh, who have experienced similar things. Uh, There's a great link to a UN report as well that I took a look at. You know, when I'm looking at that shame, depression, anxiety, suicidality, among among many other things, you know, it, it is certainly at its core... My understanding is conversion practices as saying we need to make you X because Y is wrong and you are wrong. And that must be a painful thing to have to live with and be told. And the consequences of that must be, you know, uh, what we described, you know, shame, anxiety, depression. Where are, Where are things at? my two years in, problem solved. Let's all go home. (laughs) Um, It's all all done now, surely.
2: Yeah. In fact, some people actually do think that, but unfortunately, that is not the case in any way, shape or form. Conversion practices are happening today all across Canada in healthcare context. So in a psychiatrist's office, in a therapist's office, in a social work with Social worker, a child protection work in the foster care system. Then it also happens in in faith-based contexts, as we know, and that's where people usually go when they think it's it's religion. It's not just religion. It's it's. It's in society, but we have not addressed it. No one has yet brought forth a charge, uh, reported anyone can doing this to, to law authorities. There's so much that needs to happen before that law actually has an impact. I know immediately after the law was passed, I met with a number of different lawyers from law associations because they didn't know what conversion practices were. The same is the case in your local police department, or RCMP they have learning to do, healthcare associations have learning to do, are they going to be uh, creating policies to make sure that their members are not pra- engaged in these practices and are they penalized? Are they gonna be penalized if they do? Uh, who reports them because it's now federal law? Um, there's just so many things that have to happen. I would say that this is my personal opinion. I think that the the most important thing that's come out of this law has been over the last number of years leading to it and leading to all the different bands across the country as well. This is the first time ever this issue has become part of public discourse. Now, I'm in my mid-60s. I've been aware of this since the late 70s, and I've never heard it talked publicly like it has been in the last 10 years or so. And to me, that is just so critical. One of the reasons why people have a so hard time identifying it, because they don't know what it is. And that's the whole reason behind the creation of StopConversionPractices.ca. You can't identify it, you can't fight against it until you know what it is you're talking about. It explains what conversion practices are, it explains what SOGIS is, and it helps to address the gap that we have identified in other surveys from across the country, both within the 2S LGBTQI plus community, as well as outside our community. So, with even within our own community, we don't understand it fully, and many survivors have said they're not comfortable talking about it with their gay, lesbian, transgender, expansive friends because there's such a reaction. Particularly for those who experienced it uh, in religious contexts, we we struggle within our community.
0: What I wanted to zero in on is the practice in a medical setting, because. I've had conversations with people, even you know, LGBT folks, and there is this sense of is advocating for surgeries and full transitions, is that in the best interest? You know, are trans folks advocating for themselves really in the right mind? You know, there is a lot of questioning that happens in the, you know, in in the in 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 folks out and out and about. And I suspect that some of that also is in the medical world, you know uh, medical professionals who are not convinced that your you know your transition is in the best interest, for example. How do we navigate that and and maybe just how widespread is it? Is it really an issue or am I uh, overthinking it
2: no it's it's really an issue i'm I'm a trans man, but when I transitioned, I had a whole Layer of privilege for me. I'm white, I'm older, um, I had the money to pay for my own surgeries. I didn't have to get someone's permission, like from CAMH or the Ontario OHIP or whatever my provincial health was, in order to have those surgeries. But there are so many who uh, I've heard so much pain and so much trauma that is experienced by trans folks and gender expansive. So they may not want to transition. Um, or may not want to affirm a gender identity. They just are who they are and express themselves however they want. But within the healthcare system, it is a problem everywhere. Really, gender identity is the key issue of our time when it comes to the LGBTQ community. I mean, in addition to the anti-hate that's been happening across Canada and elsewhere. Um, But it's been specifically focused on trans people. So we see it... And, and the increase of hate crimes and the hate language and treatment of trans people, we—it's also seen in our ERs in hospitals. It happens in doctors' offices when you can't even find a doctor who will treat you. Some doctors will say, "I don't know anything about it, but I'm willing to learn with you." That's brilliant and others will have the experience and they know what they're talking about. There are a number of resources that can help medical practitioners, mental health practitioners to address these issues when it comes to healthcare for trans, for LGBTQ folks. But to label conversion, to label that treatment as a conversion practice is one of the sort of limitations of the law currently. It doesn't really explain fully. It doesn't fully capture the needs and the healthcare needs of uh, trans and gender expansive people. So this is something that we're all struggling with in society. It needs to be addressed. We need to provide gender affirming care. So care where a, a physician or a mental health therapist says, what is it that is your goal? What What do you need? So it's driven by the individual that they're caring for rather than what trauma did you experience in your life that led you to believe that you're male when you were actually born female. Um, So it's a very very different approach.
0: It's it's definitely at the crux of a major social debate uh, right now. But, you know, to circle back everyone from the UN, the School of Social Work, psychiatrists, you name it. They believe that conversion practices are harmful and not helpful. Just to clarify, they are not just conversations exploring your gender identity or sexual orientation, but rather an effort to correct them. If folks have been interested by this conversation, please go to Uh, stopconversionpractices.ca. There is an abundance of information on there, lots of really great research from across Canada and uh, the rest of the world as well. I'm sorry we don't we have more time to dive into this, but I want to thank you so much, John, for... Uh for coming on and speaking with us and and sharing your experience and your your expertise on this.
2: We just want to say that we recognize that this website is just scratching the surface. We will be adding more resources this coming year. We'll be adding an advocacy section, more information about uh, CP-related trauma, findings of a recent qualitative project with survivors who are Black, Indigenous, people of color, newcomers, immigrants, and refugees. Um, And we also hope to add a referral list of um, affirming faith organizations in Canada, as well as mental health practitioners who have experience in working with survivors. It's a collective project that I'm deeply proud of, but we have a long ways to go.
0: We will be keeping an eye on it as it develops over the course of the year. Right now, we're going to jump to a song, and we will be back just after this.
4: No resolutions because they say expecting change and doing the same things are kind of crazy but I'm not crazy I'm just lazy my interactions are sparse and brief It's just a summer grief But I'm around But the wind chill slows things down Warm John's on the floor Must be jammed yeah. You'd have to ask breakfast such a f***ing
0: Hello and welcome back to CanQueer, home of Canada's queer media. That was January, the clean version, uh, by Noah Malcolm. Um, And I believe Noah Malcolm is the top nominated artist at the PEI Music Awards. So very exciting, great talent, Noah Malcolm, uh, with the song January that we just listened to. Now. In that interview around conversion therapy practices, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan did say uh, quite, you know, which we picked up on that there have been no cases. We have reached out to the RCMP, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police, and uh, our very own local oral police service to see if there has been any cases and if there's any training provided to officers, updates will be made next week if we get them. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lot of other news that we wanted to touch on, but there was an interesting study that came out about bisexual men. Yes, okay. and it was a complicated study that I I, I find I would like to consider myself uh-huh. literate enough uh-huh. to be able to understand scientific journals, but even I had to draft you in to help <laughs> this with this particular. Uh, this particular study because it is it is complicated so can you help I mean it, like, it what was the study what yeah was
1: the, the irony is is that this is in science magazine and science is uh, usually the the more simple the title of an academic journal is the most prestigious it is so like the most prestigious uh, journal for biology is called life <laughs> uh, and the most prestigious one for cognitive science is just called mind Uh, But yeah, so when it's called science, you're talking about some top level stuff. And because of that, it is this is actually the simple version of this study, because chemists also need to read it. Uh, But basically what they were doing is um, it was sort of piggybacking off another study that came out of the UK where they looked at uh, the 23andMe database and they compared it against some of the survey questions that they had to sort of see if they could identify any genes or specifically any alleles that are associated with same-sex attraction and they they did manage to identify five from looking at like the cross-reference of the genetic database versus people's self-reporting this one is a follow-up looking at um sort of the the relationship between the genes the behavior and actual reproduction because that is one of the questions in Evolutionary biology is how can same-sex attraction survive if people who are same-sex attracted don't have children. Now, one of the things they actually found by looking at this is first of all, that's that's kind of a myth. So looking at the results that they found, there's a non-zero number of children had by exclusively same-sex attracted men and women. It is not very much. So the the average for, for gay men is about uh 0. 0.25 children. So for every for every four gay men, you'll have one child. Uh, but really what that works out to is uh, if you actually look at men who do have children, because that's a there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of layers to this cake. But anyway, um, surprisingly, what they actually found is if you look at bisexual men and women, they do have fewer children than exclusively heterosexual ones, but it's still a non-zero number. So the average number of children for heterosexuals in this study was was uh about 1.8 and the average number for bisexuals was about 1.25 so that's that's slightly above replacement rate um and then the average for for same-sex attracted was about 1.3 uh, not 1.3 0.3 children but what that means is they're looking at this saying like the, the disadvantage to bisexuals is not as much as they thought that they are having children. but moreover, if you separate them into men and women, uh bisexual men are actually having quite a few children. and when they looked at it, they they found that there was this very strong correlation of of bisexual men who do have children because you have to specify that because not all bisexual men have children. but if they do have children, they actually have more children. Than the heterosexual counterparts so, so just just to just for me to make sure i'm i'm, I'm understanding this here, yes
0: there are genetic markers dna markers for mm-hmm. homosexuality yep. so same-sex behaviors yes there are genetic markers for opposite sex behaviors and some people have both same-sex mm-hmm. behaviors and opposite sex behaviors mm-hmm bi
1: people (laughs) yes bisexual people so the the well one of the questions that people still haven't figured out yet just from looking at the numbers it appears to be that you have uh basically heterosexual genes and homosexual genes and if you're bisexual you have one at each okay Oh, yeah like a, a combination yeah um one of the 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 classic examples of this is skin color there are eight separate sites for genes that that encode skin pigmentation and the reason why there's so many variations is basically you have on and off for each of them and so you have like eight factorial that's eight with the little exclamation point and that's how many potential actually no then there's more math involved but anyway there's thousands of combinations of on and off for all these different sites and and etc and if you're an albino you're zero across the board um but anyway but, uh, so, but, but the point here is, yeah, we
0: would assume mm. that all of the gay people with the gay genes yeah. would eventually die out on accounts of gay people, both men and women, not particularly. Having that many children.
1: Not having many, that,
0: but it's still non-zero. Not zero. So you would assume you'll be like, okay, well, obviously, this must mean that they like the, the gays will mm. eventually die out because mm-hmm. they're not reproducing. But that's what this study is saying. I yep. will correct you that the particular study we're talking about uses the UK Biobank. It's yes. a charity that has 50,0 people's mm-hmm. bio data on yep. it. Um, And this particular study, I think, uses 460,000 or something like that.
1: It's a huge number Mm -hmm. um, as the basis. I mean, it was the biobank, but I read the footnotes. um, I mean, yeah. But the footnotes said they got their data from 23andMe. (laughs) So the basis here then is really what's
0: keeping these genes in the pool Yep. Is bisexual men. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was interesting about this, and or I'm sure you've probably you can more touch fair it, to
1: say, especially bisexual men. Especially bisexual, bisexual men. Bisexual women are also contributing, but bisexual men more so than women. So, this group of 450,000 people also
0: mm-hmm. did a second survey mm-hmm. about how risky is your behavior yes. just in general. Yep. And as a group,
1: gambling alcohol consumption unsafe sex multiple unsafe partners etc yeah. as yeah.
0: a group bisexual men were riskier so mm-hmm. the inference what what's implied is bisexual men mm-hmm. are that maybe that a little bit more risk taking maybe that a mm-hmm. little bit more flirty um mm-hmm. that a little bit more sexual partners and fathering that a little bit more children yeah let's be clear uh, from what i could tell i'm sure you can correct me opposite sex behaviors i.e straight people Mm -hmm. led to the most
1: children because
0: that's how math works yes yes so uh, am i on the right
1: page yeah, it's something like that. And, and when we're talking about risky behavior, we're not necessarily talking about like serial killers. We're talking like David Bowie. Like he he took some pretty big risks uh, as a performer, as an artist in his personal life. And those risks, we're not necessarily talking about holding up banks. We're just talking about um doing things that may go against the grain of society, uh, mm-hmm. as well as other examples here, like, you know, the classics, gambling, drinking, unsafe sex, uh, buying a house when you can't really afford the mortgage. Uh, Like risky behavior is a pretty big bin to put things into. Um, A lot of this information has been kind of known for a while, but cross-referencing it against the genetic database and not just doing uh, surveys uh, is definitely, uh, it's really just sort of adding to that body. So like one of the reasons why they believe that um, bisexuality is one heterosexual gene and one homosexual gene is by looking at the relative rates between men and women. So uh, there's about two and a half um, bisexual women per lesbian, and there's about two and a half gay men per bisexual man. So the fact that those are inverted, that you have two and a half times more gay men than bisexual men and two and a half times more bisexual women versus heterosexual women kind of implies that there's something to do with the XY chromosome there. And that there's like a haploid thing going on, if you you know the the biology of it. And then now they're actually starting to look at uh, cross-referencing with the genetic database. And like the the classic one is uh, there's uh, XQ23. For those who don't know, genes have addresses. So X is the X chromosome, Q is the Q arm, and then 23 is the 23rd allele site down that that arm. There are other genes that they found, like that one only is associated with, with sexual orientation, sexual behavior. There's another gene that they found of uh, the big five that they they actually found from doing this genetic study that has historically been associated with the olfactory bulb. so the the actual nerve bundle in your nose that detects smell, that there's variation on that that can lead to sexual orientation. You know, there's obvious impl- implications there about pheromones and and gene detection and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Sonny Huskins allegation that we could smell gays. Mm-hmm.
0: Like <laughs> maybe there's
1: something in it after all. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that was a metaphor, but uh, sometimes metaphors have truth under them, you know? So, yeah, there there is this uh, growing body of research sort of conclusively showing that there are advantages there. And I mean, if you really want to get to a really sort of stretched, um, maybe it's not too stretched. If you're a biologist, like using one species to explain another is actually pretty common. So if you look at bees... Bees will have, per reproducing offspring, they'll have like 50 non-reproducing offspring. You get all those drones, right? But the reason why those drones exist and why it actually is advantageous for a queen bee to have so many non-reproducing children is because the non-reproducing children make the reproducing children more likely to succeed. So there's that sort of support. Um, with, uh, it's called avuncular theory, so uncle. Avuncular is just the Latin yeah. for uncle. So the, that the the non-reproducing uncles support the reproducing father so that the reproducing father could have more kids than they would have otherwise, so that the, the grandparent has a total more grandchildren. It's this whole theory that came out of, really it came out of bees, but then they started looking at bonobos and other, and uh, dolphins and other pro-social species. And they found, oh my God, that really, if you look at number of grandchildren instead of number of children, it actually all comes out so if somebody has a gay child they're going to have no grandchildren from that that child presumably but they may still end up with more total grandchildren through the other children who are not gay and mm-hmm. if, if they're it by takes st- a village yeah and when you and throw a couple of gunkles in there yeah it all adds up you're creating yeah. your own village basically um Great. and so that there's basically all this study says is there are now genetic markers that support that mathematical model that they developed about 15 years ago. So Mm -hmm. it it started off as math and theory and simulation theory and blah, blah, blah. And now they're actually starting to get, well, these are the genes that underpin it. And they're starting to look at the actual uh, uh, results of this in society and, and the sort of association between like genes and behavior and number of children. And then that can be translated into reproductive success down the road.
0: Well, we have pretty much run out of time. We are keeping an eye on the attack on the Ugandan activists, uh, Mm. which happened earlier this week. And Estonia's equal marriage law, which was introduced in June uh, of last year, came into effect New Year's Day. So that was the other big thing. So they're now the
1: first former Soviet bloc country. Are they the first? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Was uh, Romania part of the Soviet bloc? I don't think so.
0: But in my last news story, is guess where? Oh, is
1: joining Eurovision? Oh, God. Is it going to be somewhere? Brazil. I'm going to say Brazil. You know, you're close. So,
0: <laughs> Eurovision, which, uh, you know, is supposed to be Europe, um, oh. has announced that the Caribbean. Is now joining Eurovision. They haven't okay. announced which countries in Eurovision. Anyone who's looked at a map, you might be confusing the Mediterranean with the Caribbean. No, no, no. we're talking about the bit between South and North America: Jamaica,
1: <laughs> Saint Kitts. Uh,
0: exactly, a lot of them are former, former European colonies. So maybe yeah. at a stretch, maybe it should be Colonial Vision, but that's you know perhaps another another discussion for another day. Um, we are we've run out of time we're going to play out with Black Star Planet by Big Sissy Mm -hmm. I have been Luke Smith and I've been Sebastian and thank you for listening